Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. We've had a week off to mourn the losses against Ireland and England and we are back and ready to take on the Italians as ever. Joined on the other side of the table, Matt and Alan. How are you boys? Yep, all good here. Doing all right? You're doing all right? Yeah, I'm all right. As, as, as good as you ever are, the most negative man in Scottish rugby. <laughs> I'm a five. You've got a five out of ten is about as good as we can ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do have something very special for us and for you, the listeners. We're joined today by Scotland legend Richie Vernon. Richie, how are you, man? Fantastic. Um, thank you very much for having me on. Pleasure to be with some guys that live and breathe Scottish rugby. Are you, the, are you saying that you don't live and breathe Scottish rugby? Uh, no, I live and breathe it as much as anyone else. But you guys really, really live it. Say Scottish Glasgow and Stumel legend Richie Vernon. Yes, yeah, Stumel legend. There was there was two. Uh, I clarified that you had played for Stumel on Twitter because I'd left out the initial announcement, and um, there was two responses. One saying um, a high point of a great career, and the other one was a horrible stain <laughs> on an otherwise perfect <laughs> career. And I really think that's a, a good moment. But it's for it's it's not on your Wikipedia page, Stumel. Stumel, so I might have to edit that. Is it, to, it is air on it? Because yes. air is on it, yeah. Because I was drafted to air, but I never actually played for them. Ah, well, see, so, two uh, two amendments to the Wikipedia. Yeah. There we go. I'm my sure brother, that. my brother once amended my Wikipedia page to add himself to it. So oh, really? yeah, he had, he he changed it to um, brother of David Vernon, but just as, <laughs> as the first as the first line. So yeah, it seems like you can put on whatever you like. 
Nice one. Well, speaking of people who live and breathe Scottish rugby, you guys have all been keeping in touch with us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod, on Instagram, Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. If you've noticed a bit of a change in the tone, Alan has worked out the password for the Instagram, so he's been putting up some very questionable memes. Literally, all I do is look at memes, is try and create Scottish rugby memes. <laughs> a real sort of niche in the market I'm going after. Yeah, it's really good, really good as well. You got Simon Zebo to bite. Yeah, he had a like. I do feel quite bad, though, because you send on average about six a day, and there's sort of no response for about two hours, and then I just kind of go, ha, <laughs> just to <laughs> you know, boost the confidence. You know it's not allowed to go up. Yeah. The quantity, not quality. That's important as well. Just chucking ideas out there. <laughs> yeah. You know, so seeing what guy. sticks. <laughs> and there have been uh, lots of people in the mailbag, as ever, the thistlerugby at gmail.com. And as ever, the sources have been sliding into the DMs all week, giving us all sorts of um, scarless rumours and gossip from inside the camp. Some of it absolutely not broadcastable. Some of it um, we will maybe get into later on. Um, so in today's episode, we're going to have a bit of a chat to Richie, but mostly we're going to talk about um, news from the last week, a few re-signings in the Scottish clubs, and then look forward to the Italy game. Kicking it off with a man who's been on his travels for the last couple of years, but Sam Hidalgo Klein has bagged himself two years at Exeter after, you know, jobbing around for sort of six months here, six months there for the last while. That seems like a good result for everybody concerned. Yeah, as, as you say, I think the fact it's a two-year deal and he was going around and sort of medical jokers at um, Rassing and Leon, I think, is, is really good. Um, if you can recapture some of that form that he did show at Edinburgh that got him into that 2015 World Cup squad, then it's a good option to have. In the, in the mix of the national squad. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a couple of other names at Glasgow, you, who you'll be familiar with, uh, Richie, Pete Horn, and Rob Harley, both re-signed for Glasgow. A couple of your mates, know them well? Yeah, yeah. Two absolute stalwarts of Glasgow, basically through some of the less successful times at the start and, and now. Yeah. But, I mean, they've two guys who have been kind of fundamental to the success of that club over kind of the last sort of 10 years. So good signings for Glasgow and they'll be important if anything else uh, I think Bob's played about 700 games for them already yeah. so um, yeah just just to keep that consistently going and hopefully have set the cultural stuff yeah. which, is, which is important for them Did you start around the same time as those two? Um, I would have been slightly before um, and I remember that I remember them both coming through Pete I was flatmates with Pete for quite a few oh, okay. years um, Bob I remember first coming into the side um, and I, I had no idea how to take him. I actually, when he first arrived at training, I, I thought he was, I thought he was genuinely terrible. Um, <laughs> he just, he just looks like that sort of guy that you don't know if he's good or not. And then the first game, he was awesome. And ever since, he's been awesome. And he's just very good. He, he's just so good at what he does. He's really consistent. He's, he's incredible. I feel like it's maybe this, the polar opposite of Pete Horn, where I imagine. Harley in a touch rugby game might be one of the worst players of all time. Whereas I think P. Horn might be like the be- one of the best touch rugby players of all time. <laughs> um, they're both actually pretty good at touch rugby. It's definitely not Bob Harley's strength, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, if there's contacts involved, he's, he's better at that. Um, but yeah, he's just... Because he just he's basically effectively a robot and he will give 100% to everything that he does, even in touch. He just doesn't switch off. So if, certainly if there's a game where it's the start of training and everyone's sort of 50% on, Bob will be fantastic because he's just, <laughs> he's just into it straight away. <laughs> and you, you started the Pro, 50, Pro, Pro 12 sorry, final with Pete Horn in centre. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, I was, I was lo- at that stage of my career, I think Mark, I was quite lucky because Alex Dunbar and um, Mark Bennett both kind of got injured towards the middle part of the season. 
so towards the tail end, it was basically me and Pete, and I think we, we started the last eight games into the final. Um, got a good run of games kind of together. Um, worked really well, and yeah, kind of kind of lucky with how it all came together, and then being able to play a part in that that mm. final, which was mm. which was pretty awesome. We'll come back to look at a little bit more of that later on. Last bit of news: Dave Cherry has signed a couple of years at Edinburgh as well. He's been a fairly solid um, squad player after. The success of um, Stade Niçois. Yeah, I mean, Stade Niçois paying back in spades. Yeah. Um, Bit of time in the third third division of France, 20 fags, back up to Scotland, here we go. Starting for Edinburgh against Scarlet's at the weekend. Yeah, so that's all you need. Starting ahead of that, Willemsey. So, to be fair, you're probably not going to get into the Scotland team with McAnally, Brown and Turner, but definitely not a bad person to have in the kind of fallow weeks where they've just not got those Scottish lads so that, yeah and that front row with Hicks, Schumann and I've actually forgotten who else was playing prop at the weekend but <laughs> generally it just allows Edinburgh to have an incredibly strong tight five even with so many of their players in the Scotland team absolutely so well done to all of them other news is that there's essentially no news in the Finn uh, Tooney standoff I think Mike Blair confirmed it at the Scotland press conference today that there has been no communication between both sides since Finn's interview in the Sunday Times, where he definitely looked in the photos very remorseful. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, still kind of had a on and off game against Toulouse, it looks like, at the weekend. So obviously, Racing won in the last minute after he'd been subbed and he gave one kind of try scoring pass and then also gave an interception for one of the Toulouse players to score like an 80 meter um run in so the fool russell the fool the fool russell still hanging out with zebu on instagram having a great time yeah his life does look pretty good to be honest richie what have you made of the whole what's your take on finn v tooney gate you know we had to ask you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've got to tread very carefully here. Um, I, I, as a Scottish rugby fan, I'm of, I'm just kind of a bit disappointed and frustrated about how it's all played out. Um, obviously, played with Finn, fantastic player. You know, Gregor was you know my coach for a while at, at Glasgow and Scotland, um, and it just seems like it's kind of the straw that's brought the camels back. And yeah, they, there's probably. A bit of an, a disagreement there, maybe slightly culturally, maybe slightly tactically. And there was obviously an incident that maybe caused it as well. But it seems more like they've obviously, their relationship has sort of broken down mm. and they might disagree about maybe the playing style or the way the way the camp should be. And it's just, it's just sad because you hope that it, it doesn't come to that effectively. One of your best players and your and your coach yeah, and he's, he's forced to kind of walk away. So... My take is I'd love to see them resolve it as soon as possible, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, and I'm not really sure how it happens at this stage. So maybe it's something that gets revisit, revisited after the Six Nations. Yeah. It increasingly feels like it's going to be a post-Six Nations kind of thing I, to deal with. I, I don't know how, unless it, it would require Townsend essentially completely giving back control of the Scotland squad to the players, I think, at this stage to step back and say, Finn, you're back. Because particularly without any sort of apology. Yeah. It'd be um, interesting. One of the interesting things that's come out is the kind of differing coaching styles between Cotter and Townsend. And actually the fact that Towns, that Cotter kind of gave more of a kind of, this is the framework, but actually you, once you've kind of got past first phase, it's kind of up to you guys to kind of 
players you see, whereas Townsend's a lot more kind of detailed orientated. Is that kind of what it was like when you were in kind of in both setups? Yeah, it's it's very accurate. I would say so. Um, like Finn and Vern basically got on like a house on fire. I think Vern thought Finn was kind of the best player ever. You know, it was a time when he was he was playing fantastically for Scotland as well, and he he definitely gave him a lot more of a wider remit to just go and play what he play what he sees. I think that's probably just a New Zealand coaching thing in general. Yeah, um, I think they they believe that their players over in New Zealand have kind of better decision-making skills so they can be a bit looser with the framework of the game plan and they can just go and do things and it works out for the best. Um, Gregor has had loads of success from being really detail-oriented, not just in the game plan, but kind of how he wants things off the field, kind of recovery, everything. He puts a lot of detail into everything. And Finn... Although he's been a part of that, he, he is just a bit of a maverick. As you can see from his playing style, he's, yeah. he's a maverick. He's, he's, sure. he's a great teammate as well, though. I mean, he's got someone that works hard, prepares well. So, yeah, I think there probably is, it's got to a stage where I would imagine, and there's probably speculation, Finn's in France. France, they're known to be pretty loose as well. And I'm sure he's enjoying the style of rugby that he's playing over there. And maybe has been slightly frustrated. Uh, I Scotland after the World Cup, or certainly even before the World Cup, from what I heard, are moving, and you can see it from the way they're playing, to a bit more of a tactically territory sort of game plan. Um, and they've, they've done, they've looked into the stats, and they've seen that when we kick more, when we win territory, we tend to win. Yeah. So you can see they're trying to evolve to that. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of the players aren't immediately on board with that because in the when we played uh, Glasgow and a lot of the success we got there was a really wide expansive game plan there was a lot of detail there but yeah it was, yeah. It was a bit more wide and expansive so um it, it might just be partly that but it's yeah they, they've definitely got very different coaching styles they're similar in some ways how they want the team to play but in terms of the amount of detail they, they put into it it's, it's very different not wanting to start a rumor but I saw today that Cotter had left Montpellier with immediate effect Yep. And he's not starting in Fiji till at least he's what, on for another sort of six months. Private jet to Rome. Private jet to Rome. He's, he's, he's ousting. <laughs> there's a coup d'etat as yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the playing group. Tooney's just going to walk in. Vern Cott is leading like the team huddle. He's like, it's already you're out, you're out, Tooney. Finn's back, he's waving <laughs> at him. That'd be, I'd support that. That'd be amazing. That'd be great fun. Um, to the, I mean, one of the things that's been um, talked about an awful lot in the press about that moment which you talked about, that straw that broke the cow's back, the two-beer rule, something that you recognise from your time as a professional rugby player, a couple of beers after the game, or that sort of rules about alcohol yeah, uh, yeah. being astringent? Very rarely I've had, there's been a specific two-beer rule, but I think generally it's been kind of, look... Don't take the piss. Um, yeah, don't take the piss. Literally, <laughs> right. um, if yeah, if we've got training the next day, you know, you're you're men and you can have a beer, but you need to be prepared. You're representing your country, so what whatever's going to work best for you and the team. Um, and obviously, I, I, I can see where the two come from because when it gets beyond that, you might be taking the piss a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it depends on the coach as well. Some are ultra, and I know Greg is someone that. Isn't necess- doesn't necessarily give as much leeway in terms of alcohol as some other coaches. Yeah. I think he maybe has some regrets from his playing days that um, he maybe feel like he could have been a better player if he maybe was a bit less loose. Uh, yeah. And I don't think necessarily he, he was particularly loose, but just mm-hmm. felt like he maybe didn't get as much out of his career as he could have had otherwise. So, yeah, it's something that I would recognize 
for teams but yeah two two beers specifically seems like a, a strange um definitive number of beers that you're allowed is it two pints is it two i was just gonna cans? say is, is it, it two is it two like little bottles of heineken is it two they're they're very different you know things different things get two steins with two jugs <laughs> <laughs> does it carry over into spirits i mean who knows are you having a couple g and t's maybe that's your tipple that's no, true who knows? Well, that's a locale option, so maybe that's the more athletic choice. <laughs> but as ever, we've gone off on a strange tangent. Um, obviously, the biggest news of this week, um, and looking ahead to the game of the weekend, the Scotland team for the Italy match was announced today. I'll run you through. Rory Sutherland, Stuart McAnally, and Xander Fakes in the front row. Second row, Ben Tullius comes in for the injured Johnny Gray and joins Scott Cummings. Back row, Jamie Ritchie, Hamish Watson, and Magnus Bradbury. Backline, Ali Price at 9, Adam Hastings at 10. Centre, Sam Johnson. Chris Harris comes in for Hugh Jones, who is dropped like a stone out of the 23. And back three, Blair Kinghorn, Sean Maitland and Stuart Hogg. Talking points, I think, certainly amongst our fans online, is Chris Harris coming in at 13. Um, should we speak to the international outside centre, Matt, before you jump in here? Well, I, I just had the point that some that someone today described Chris Harris as a budget Richie Vernon. So, <laughs> you taking that? With, with that in mind? No, I know. certainly can't comment on that. Um, what, what do you make of that Harris selection coming in um, for I, this game? I, I, you can tell that Greg is a big he's a big fan of of Harris. Yeah. Um, I think he wanted to give him opportunities in the World Cup. Um, he maybe feels like he brings a stability to the back line that maybe Hugh Jones might not at the moment. Yeah. I mean. That England game was so awful. It was hard for anyone to, to play well from 13. Totally, so yeah. you, you feel a little bit sorry for him because Italy hopefully will get a few more opportunities. Um, but yeah, I I was probably a little bit, I wasn't surprised, but I'd love to see someone like Hutchison getting a getting a shot, um, someone more exciting. But considering the game and the opposition, there's going to be a huge amount of pressure on Scotland to get that win. Mm. I think he's probably gone for a, a bit of a safer choice there. Um, yeah. And he's someone that apparently has been on really good form for, for Gloucester for this year. Yeah. I mean, how, how much, I think you're right in terms of the selection is maybe a bit more conservative. I mean, how much pressure do you think Townsend is actually under coming into this game? Um, I, th- I think he's under a fair amount. Um, I think he's obviously been under pressure, certainly since the World Cup. Um, I know there's, there's a lot of fans, certainly, that, that aren't happy. Um, I think that of how he got the job initially and the fact that a lot of people loved Vern Gotter has made, made it sort of slightly more difficult for him yeah, from the start. Sure. Um, but results-wise, he's, he's done pr- pretty well um, on the whole. So yeah, I think he's. I think he, he's obviously under pressure. I don't think the Finn stuff helps that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but potentially, at the same time, you look at these three games that are coming up. They could easily win two out of those three, um, yeah, and then all of a sudden the pressure the pressure's gone. It's back off. I think Harris has kind of an issue that a he's never played in Scotland, so like people, a lot of fans don't know who he is. I think yeah, I th- and I also think he's not really a player that's going to have like a highlights reel. Rory Hutchins, the sort of player that's going to have those like nice passes and nice breaks and kind of makes like nice moments on YouTube, whereas Harris is more of a, he's super solid, he'll make your hard yards. And essentially, he is, has been starting for Gloucester in a team that includes like Billy Twelve Trees, Atkinson, Cipriani, etc. So he's obviously highly valued at Gloucester as well. Yeah. It does feel, on the flip side, that it's a selection that's kind of done... It's a kind of a defensive selection rather than an attacking selection. It's more about trying to stop Italy playing their game rather than Scotland implementing their kind of 
game on there game on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But then the, there was that graphic that came out, out on the back of the last World Cup that kind of showed all different outside centers in terms of their carries and meters per yeah, carry sure. and all that sort of thing. And Harris was one of the top performers in that role. So I wonder if, as you say, that um, if Scotland are sort of trying to move more towards a sort of territorial game, that having someone like that is actually pretty important in terms of being able to get over the game line, um, set, set up, good field position, that sort of thing. It's funny, the the point you mentioned about kind of the fact that Hutchison, is, he, he is probably more exciting. He does have those moments. Uh, Mark Bennett's another one that's a bit like that. He's got those moments where he can just produce something out of another, nothing. Hugh Jones is similar. Chris Harris isn't necessarily that sort of player, but he's maybe the sort of player that a coach really likes because defensively he'll be really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, he carries well, he'll get up with the game line really well. He'll, he'll give you consistency, he won't lose the ball. Um, whereas then someone like Hugh Jones or... Hudson, I know less. You have those flash moments, but then you might you might see less. Mm. They might be a bit more inconsistent. Um, and I think there's always there's always kind of a trade off there with a coach's player and the f- the player that fans really want to see and they can't understand why they're not playing. Yeah. What did you think about Rambo coming in for? Because you've obviously played a lot with Fraser. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, they're both really good players. I think it's it's an area that Scotland are obviously pretty well serviced with the two of them and. George Turner, who's, who's also a really good player as well. Yeah. Um, I, I saw, I, I think they planned, I think what I've seen from Scotland is they're planning to challenge a lot more around the breakdown these days. You can see there's been a kind of a shift and it's worked quite well for them defensively the first couple of games. So I think Fraser Brown was probably part of that. Yeah. Um, he suits a bit more of that game plan than probably the wide expansive ball carry and fast rugby. Ramp was probably a little bit better served to to kind of do that well so um and maybe they think it's going to be that more of a game we'll probably have a bit more of the ball and we'll maybe play a bit less territory so um i think i think it's that's probably a, a good decision and those two will kind of rotate around they're good players and they'll pick on form that is the thing with sort of rambo and fraser you're kind of like one's going to get 55 to 60 minutes and the other one's going to get 30 35 minutes and broadly everyone's kind of happy with whichever one starts right yeah. Um, but on the George Turner, I saw the weekend. I think he got like it was either six or eight offloads. I know it was Zebra, but still, like, yeah, he when he's on form. I mean, he, he's a bit of a psycho, but he is unbelievable. He is he is amazing. Similar to to me and Richie, he went through the Stumel setup as well. So <laughs> what happened to you? Uh, you know, injuries. Actually, <laughs> ne- I've actually never been injured. So. <laughs> I want to get an idea of Richard mentality in this week for this Scotland camp, like. I went deep into the sort of the Wikipedia annals and I think it's 2011, six nations, four pretty close losses and you're heading into the fifth game against Italy with sort of everything riding on the wooden spoon game. What's the mentality in that camp? Are you aware of that sort of like, is it siege mentality of we've got to just get a win at all costs? You you can feel it from the outside, but obviously all the messages inside are are not <laughs> I'm yeah. not kind of saying that you're trying to you're trying to take pressure off the guys I mean you, you you'll feel that I mean it's impossible not to to feel that and in the back of your head it doesn't matter how much kind of positive chat you give about we're definitely gonna win the next three games yeah you'll feel you, you're also aware that we've not we've not won the first two there's been things happening in camp it's going to be a little bit uncertain so 
It's it's a difficult one. Every time we play Italy as well, they they are better. Like they're generally better because because they know they've got yeah. a better chance against us. Um, whereas I think when they play England or whoever else, they nest, they probably don't they don't feel that way. Um, which which is which is kind of interesting. So it's going to be t- I think it's going to be a really really tough game. I think hopefully I, I feel like we've got enough cons. We've played well enough to get that result, but they need to be quite confident. And if we can get an early lead, that makes a huge difference as well. Italy have also got Parise coming on off the bench as his like farewell game, which I'm just worried is going to give them like an extra five ten percent. It gives them, or something. it could be a complete backfire. And he comes on and is I don't know. When was the last time he played the game of rugby? Is he still playing? He's club still rugby? he's at Toulon, I think, isn't he at the moment? I'm pretty sure he is. So I mean, he's still playing, but yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm worried that that's going to like he comes on after like fifty five or sixty minutes or something. It's a close match, like the crowd just goes absolutely mental. You know, was it two years ago that we went behind and then we sort of just scraped over the line? That's when Laidlaw got the kick yeah. right at the end of the game to win. That's what I think is going to happen. <laughs> but without I, I, I just think we'll do a, we will do a very classic Scottish versus Italy performance and we'll make a meal of it. What was it? Last year at Murrayfield, we went up like by four tries and then they scored like three in the second half and it looked a little bit ropey for a second. Yeah. There's something about it that just sort of sets the jitters about everybody it seems because the, the last time was was it four years ago where we missed the kick to touch when we were yeah uh, when we were ahead and that was when we when we lost yeah that was p horn it, it was <laughs> i remember that <laughs> and a young man named ben Tullis came off the bench and got yellow carded straight away yeah. anyway so ben starting in the second row this weekend um was kind of the only other change coming in for johnny gray i think lots of people i think were expecting Either Skinner or Skinner's come straight in, or Gilchrist to slot in there. Yeah, I obviously I don't really understand the lineout, but it's, there's all this obviously <laughs> chat about how Ben Toulis is like the best lineout operator in Scottish rugby, and obviously there has been issues with the lineout, um, especially obviously in the England game. But yeah, conditions were pretty big, um, but yeah, it seems a little bit surprising. You thought potentially that Gilchrist just gives you that size that um, I think there is a fear now that once Brown and Gray are out that team that we're potentially like a little bit underpowered in the forwards. I think like the back row of Richie, Watson and Bradbury, they are they are good and they are dynamic, but it feels like they've just been a little bit beaten in the, in the last two games. So, and that's just my main fear because that kind of Italian back row especially are so powerful. And uh, just get over the gain line really, really well. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough one. I think for people like Richie and Watson, especially, it's the sort of game. I mean, I don't know how much you've played against Richie and Watson, but it feels like these are the sort of games where they should really be kind of dominating and kind of stamping their mark on on games. Yeah, yeah, uh, I completely agree. I think it, it's going to be a massive challenge in that back row. We've we've gone for more. I mean, that's quite an athletic back row, hopefully good over ball. And they've gone for kind of big carriers. You've got three guys there who are very physical, try and like dominate the, the collisions. So hopefully, I think it's going to be a big challenge. Um, you saw in the France game, Italy can play some fantastic rugby as well. They look, they look pretty dangerous. Yeah. You, you never know with, with France, though. I mean, they, they tend to flick in and flick yeah. out of games. So it, it's, hard, it's hard to even tell what that means. But yeah, they, they've definitely got a dangerous back row. I think part of, part of being able to get that result is show that 
show that physicality, whether that's the two second rows or the back row and, and winning some of those those collisions, which has probably been something that we've not done consistently enough over years, not just the last few games, but probably mm-hmm. over years in the Six Nations. Yeah. I, I do think that this game's, although Scotland are under pressure, it it is a different contest to maybe like seven years ago or something, five, seven years ago. I think in, in the last few years, Scotland have had the measure of Italy and kind of beaten them fairly comfortably particularly at home i know it's always a dogfight in in room but i'd like to think that scotland is sort of as the evolution of this team um goes on that like italy is no longer a a bogey team like that's not sort of good enough anymore if you see what i mean so i kind of think scotland should still be confident of beating this italian side i I completely agree i I agree i I was going to pick up one Slightly funny bit from Gregor Townsend's press conference today when he was asked about the Toulouse um, choice. He said, we're looking forward to seeing how he combines with Scott again after a really successful outing against Russia at the World Cup. <laughs> so I think if, that is the, if that's the level that's the that we're operating at, you know, hopefully they're going to be able to step up beyond that. I mean, it was un- undoubtedly successful. It There's was no undoubtedly successful. Like it, was it was very successful. So we should hope for like a sort of 60-point win based, <laughs> driven from the, uh, directly from the second row. I mean... We've kind of we've kind of touched on what we think is going to happen in in the game. What were, what was your sort of play played versus um, and win record against Italy, Richie? Um, Not to embarrass you live. <laughs> I I think um, I definitely lost against them once. Yeah, um, and I think I won three, lost once. I remember very being being in Italy, and it was one of those games where we we just we just could not get on top of them. We were kind of losing from the start. Yeah, I think Alan Jacobson got injured two minutes before kickoff or, or something and there was been a bit of a night before. start um, can't, can't comment on that um, <laughs> <laughs> potentially who knows um, yeah and, and it just it just didn't go well for us and there is when you are in Italy as well and the crowd get behind like you mentioned yeah. before it, it can be it can be a really difficult environment to play in I, I can actually tell you there's three <laughs> teams that you have a 100% record against do you know what those three three teams are it's, you're right with Italy it's 75% Romania. Romania, one out of one. Yep. Although we were losing at 60 minutes at yeah. that game. Um, <laughs> Fiji. Fiji, two out of two. I was going to... I mean, I would have loved to have said Australia, but um, close, close but no cigar. One from two against the Aussies. Um, not Argentina. Not, I mean, it's really difficult as a Scotland international thinking through teams that you <laughs> you consistently won. That's that's the that's the hard one. It tends to it tends to be the losses that you remember a little bit better. So, um, Samoa, Samo- two out of two against Samoa, and then one. What was the win against South Africa? Um, we won twenty one seventeen. Yeah, um, we got absolutely hammered by New Zealand the week before. It was something like fifty three six. My first start for Scotland. I've got great, uh, great Nick, memories. Nicky Walker. I was looking the at way. the back row no. you played against in your first start for New Zealand and the second row, and it's like a joke. Kieran Reid, Rich McCaw, Liam Messam, Brad Thorne, and Ali Williams. <laughs> oh my I, god! I, I will, it, it was. It was. An, I mean, in terms of first starts, what an incredible experience. I mean, obviously, <laughs> got absolutely bent over and done it, but it 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 was an awesome game to play. My viv- my memories of that game were we we got beat by fifty and I actually thought that I played all right which was which was strange and the yeah. most ironic thing about it was we played South Africa the next week 
And on the Monday we came in and I remember Andy Robinson was like, look, this is my best team. I believe in you guys, you know, we're, I'll give you one more chance, but you need to perform against South Africa. And I got dropped. And I was like, I actually thought I played quite well there. I don't know how it happened. So 14 people got the nod again and I got dropped to the bench. And the only reason I got onto the bench was because um, they said, dependent on weather conditions. So he said that if the forecast is for rain, we'll put, I think it was Jim Hamilton, we'll put Jim Hamilton on the bench. But if it's dry, you can play. I tend to get that because I was a skinny back row. It, it, it was dependent on the conditions a lot of the time. Um, and in, in that case, the, it, the ironic thing was it was meant to be dry and it was really wet and miserable, but um, was on the bench and ended up playing 60 minutes. So really, again, was that when you, Was that the match where you, you made that nice break through the middle? Yeah, and I got and then, absolutely... And then Backies both had chased you down. Yeah. And you, I remember yeah. your head just slamming off the toe. Like, <laughs> but I think we maybe got a penalty off it and that was sort of quite I, yeah, crucial. I don't, I don't know. I got smashed by Zane Kirshner then by Backies. He's both yeah. there, just yeah, like yeah, yeah, combination. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People seem to remember that as much as anything else. <laughs> and then was Australia, was that the home win or the one in Newcastle in Australia? Um, I was on the bench. The one in Newcastle, I was on the bench, but didn't get on. Um, Got you. And it was so wet and miserable that we were all, all the subs that were left were just hunched in the tunnel, just sort of <laughs> watching, watching whatever was left of the game um, from around the corner. Uh, the one I played in was at home. I think we won, it was my second cap. We won 9-8, I think. Was that when Gitto, Gitto, Gitto missed the, okay, Yeah, the yeah, the yeah. Oh, what a great day that was. <laughs> <laughs> what great moments. Yeah. <laughs> that was it, that was a pretty incredible... I mean, it was a classic Scotland win of that time. Like, score, yeah. Less yeah, than, yeah. score less than 10 points, but just, just, get, just get the win. 100%. Yeah. I, I take that right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me that for the weekend, and <laughs> yeah. I'll absolutely bite your hand off for it. So let's finish up on the Italy preview with a quick canter around for some predictions starting. Matt, what do you reckon, mate? You're going to be there. You're going I, yeah, down. I'm at the game. there on a stag do. So you, won't, you won't remember it. See what kind of state I'm in. I think it's an early-ish kickoff, so it'll be all right. Um, so you I, got, you I think kicked so. out the stadium in Toulon. Are you going to try and get kicked out the stadium in um, Stadio Olimpico? Toulon was like a six o'clock kickoff, so it had enough time to get quite That's well true, oiled yeah, uh, so hopefully not um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Scotland will win by there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ten. Very nice. Alan? I think it's gonna be an Italy win. Oh, by two. <laughs> I don't know. I just yeah. feel, I don't know. I might be completely wrong. It, it just feels like everything's kind of pushing against this Scotland team at the moment. And with Parisi's last game, and it felt like, especially in that kind of the, you know, second half of the, or kind of the middle portion of that um, Italy-France game, that Italy 
kind of get in their groove a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, that's my prediction. The spread's got Scotland by eight. Yeah, I saw that. Scotland are eight point favourites. So I have to bet on Scotland to win between one and seven. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the gambler in the gambler in me saw value. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Richie, what do you reckon? I, I was going to say Scotland by eight, but I, I mean I don't know. I. I feel like we've got the talent to win by eight to twelve points. But yeah, it's just one of those games that you just don't know. But yeah, I, I think I think I think we'll get a win. Yeah, we I agree. I think I think we'll get a win as well. I think we'll eke it through. Although I'm nervous because, as Alan says, there's an awful lot of narrative on the line here. Yeah, the narrative is a big Scotland loss, Tooney's head on the block, and you know Scottish rugby reaching a new level of rock bottom, which we thought we'd. You know, met during Typhoon Hagibis. Typhoon <laughs> Hagibis. This isn't as far down. Is this far down as Typhoon Hagibis? Um, well, I think I don't think we ever really came up after Hagibis, did we? Uh, okay, so this is just part of the, just sort of the gradual going, decline. We've, we've kept tumbling down. Finn was the real. Uh, that was the thing that kept us going. But that all being said, I think we will win by sort of like three to five. I think it'll be very tight, cagey affair. Not a great game of rugby, but. I think we'll come away with a win and I actually think we might go on and beat France, but that's a separate podcast that we can talk about in the most sort of Scottish thing ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good about the point. I think there is, I envisage a scenario where we lose all three games and I also see a scenario where we win all three games. Yeah. And because I actually don't think the, I think the world seems all right, but I don't think they're that good and I don't think the Scotland players, and it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this. I always kind of feel like the Scotland players mustn't, you know, you play the Welsh players quite a lot. So you know them and you know what they're like and you're kind of used to how they play. So does that make it a little bit easier when you're coming up against the Welsh or the Irish? Yeah, it's it's a weird one because obviously for um, towards the sort of la- the, my latter years at Glasgow, there wasn't really, none of the Welsh teams in particular were that great. So yeah. we, used, we used to hammer them a lot of the time. So yeah, yeah. kind of Cardiff, Ospreys were quite good. Scarlets were quite good. But generally we'd, we'd kind of beat them home and away a lot of the time so then when they'd come together for international time yeah it was it was a weird one where you you just think these guys are really turning it on when it comes to the six nations yeah Um, and for some reason it just wouldn't work for us but they they do have kind of more teams they've got more players to come together and they just seem to have a way i don't know whether it's gatland or whatever else to just when it gets to six nations times they can just seem to get get over the hump and they can get these wins these close games where scotland just don't really have that i have slowly i think become more of the view that Gatlin's a very good coach. So of the longer and longer, <laughs> I've always sort of slightly hated Gatland. And maybe it's had a bit to do with the Lions and just Scottish players not getting picked. But I think the longer he's had that Welsh team and just the amount of success he's had both with the Wales and with the Lions and the fact he's now doing pretty well with the Chiefs in New Zealand, you're like, you're probably pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you must be doing something right. I'd kill for a bit of that. Yeah. Imagine winning a Grand Slam. Oh my God! Can you imagine? It'd be the best thing ever. That would be so so good. It's uh, it's going to be really interesting now when with Pivac how he does over the next couple yeah. of years. I mean, I think we'll we'll actually see. I know there'll be a lot of change over that for that Welsh team. A lot of guys, Alan Jones and whoever else, that are probably getting a bit older now. Um, and it'll be a new Welsh side coming through. But you'll see. I think you'll probably get to see just how good Gatlin was and whether yeah, how much yeah. of an influence it was. But he's he's clearly a very very whether you like his style of rugby or not he's clearly a very very good coach and also that job for like Pivac I mean it's just (laughs) there's it's hard to kind of expectations are so high for a team that I think isn't actually that good (laughs) 
yeah. that it's so hard to really win in that role. Like, <laughs> so whereas with, I think if someone was to come in, a new coach was to come in with Scotland, it's almost a little bit easier because expectations are so low <laughs> that yeah. actually next Six Nations, you win like two games or like one game and come close. People are like, give him time. He's building a, <laughs> building a squad. Don't worry about it. Because that was with Cotter at the start. He, you know, he had a, he had His one His first Six Nations, Nations was, um, I think we lost them all, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg is the only coach that hasn't had that from when he started. Yeah, yeah. Cotter yeah. Cot- Cot- was kind of <laughs> done really well at the, at the tail end of his career. So, I mean, every other, like you say, every other Scotland coach has had kind of the blank slate and the expectations are so low that even you, if you just play some nice rugby and almost yeah. win, then that's that's a positive. And then as years go on, you expect more. I was, I knew, it's, it's weird how like the narrative changes like retrospectively, but I was reading an article back from like 2011. Someone was chatting about Andy Robinson's brought in like a free-flowing attacking game to Scottish rugby. And I was like, who would ever say that now? <laughs> Who was writing that? But then it's just compared to like Frank Haddon years or oh, yeah, the years where totally like, it's just, you know, the comparison is whatever came before it, right? Um, Who was your but, first Scotland coach? Uh, Robinson. Was yeah, Robinson. Yeah, yeah, Andy Robinson, yeah. I think he wanted to. When Edin- when he was Edinburgh coach, they played great offloading style yeah. of rugby. He was, again, like very prescriptive of what he wanted this team to do. But for some reason, I think when he arrived as Scotland coach uh, I don't know whether it was the back line that we had at the time and he just felt like we'd, we'd be probably suited to maybe he, he always tried to bring through an offloading game and it just never really happened for us for, for whatever reason and obviously we had Dan Parks at 10 at the time who was a fantastic player but his style of rugby was more it wasn't necessarily suited to that that open style of game and a lot of times we would we would sneak games playing his style of rugby um, so I think it was it was hard but yeah you definitely wouldn't it, describe our type of rugby under Andrew Robinson as expansive in any way yeah. shape or form. <laughs> and then was it was it Scott Johnson that tapped you on the shoulder and said, Love what you're doing in the back row, but would would like to see you have a go at thirteen. <laughs> yeah, it was um it was a combination of Scott Johnson and Gregor Townsend. Oh was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and it, de- it <laughs> What was the first thing that went through your mind? The first thing that went through my mind is what every back row who's ever been asked to play in the backs goes through their mind. It's like, yes, I would love to do this. <laughs> and then you get a bit of doubt and say, actually, maybe this is a little bit harder than I think. Yeah. I mean, everyone says defending at 13 is the hardest place on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll give it a go for a while. I had a long-term contract. And I, thought I'd, I thought I'd kind of have a pop at it. Um, didn't know whether it would kind of work out or not. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I was just lucky to have the opportunity to do it, which was which was which was kind of great. Were you at that point? Were you sort of sent away to like learn your trade at like sort of like club club level? Was that how sent it away to, to Stirling County? Oh, um, right. Yeah, to to kind of learn how to play thirteen, and then kind of had extra sessions at Glasgow at the time, trying to learn different things. Mm. But I, I played at the time. Stirling were in the BNI Cup, but they were also yep. almost getting relegated from the Premiership. So right. they were effectively playing a second team in the BNI Cup. So I had one trip down to I think it was Plymouth, and we <laughs> oh got we, we got beat sixty five three. And in my head, I think this this has been a terrible mistake. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. I, I played awful. It was just one of those. I was like, oh, I need to go back to the back row. And I think the next week. For some reason, after watching that game, Gregor gave me a chance against Toulon, and everything it went quite well. And then before you know it, you're like, I'm was actually not. Was that the well. Toulon game at home? Or yeah, it was raining, wasn't it? Yeah, I was trying to remember it because I, I randomly remember Hogg making like a sweet break in that game, and then Nico being on the wing, maybe. Yep, yeah, that's that's that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, 
Because I guess how soon after you came out from sale did that happen? So I came back from sale and then had a, in pre-season I'd got a neck injury and then ended up sort of trying to play a couple of games and my neck wasn't quite right and then had a kind of extended time. So I literally probably only played about three games since I came back Um, and then with kind of training back kind of got to full fitness and they said, that's when they kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you want to, do you want to give this a go? So it wasn't, it was quite early on from when I came back and there was always something in my head that thought, do you know what? I, maybe if I stayed at back row for a bit longer, you know, you never know, you never yeah. know what could have happened, but I'm really, I'm really glad that I gave it a shot and I think it worked out, worked out all right in the end. Was it positioned with Scotland in mind or was it very Glasgow specific? It, it, you know, it was positioned with Scotland in mind. Yeah. Cause it was from, I think it was initially Scott Johnson's kind of idea uh, that Gregor was on board with. And it was, it, at the time we had, we had some really good centers, but we didn't have a lot of strength and depth. Whereas back rows, we had, a lot of good bat rows and a lot of strength and depth. So I think they more saw it as you've got a great chance. And it, the ironic thing was, as soon as I changed, there was a bunch of guys that came through and played really well. Like Mark Bennett then came yeah, through yeah, and yeah. really well. <laughs> Alex Dunbar went on a huge run of form and it just seemed like this, this terrible decision. Um, so yeah, it was it was done with that in mind. And that was obviously a big part of the decision as well. Uh, you think, you, uh, as much as you always back yourself, if you play well at back row, you'll get a chance. Um, you could, I could sort of sense that I, I probably wasn't. I don't think I was Scott Johnson's sort of back row, so it probably yeah. worked out. And then, because um, I, well, I did, well, I hadn't realised, and I apologise for this, I hadn't realised you'd been on the bench for the World Cup quarterfinal and that you'd come on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did. I only played the South Africa game um, and then was on the bench for the Australia game. Yeah, so I, I came on. I came on, I think Mark Bennett scored straight away. Obviously, yeah. nothing to do with me whatsoever, but I saw maybe it was just my influence. I saw you that rock <laughs> causing a nuisance. I was on the other side. Of the, I was the first to celebrate <laughs> with him because I was fresh. I think that was, that was how I was involved. Um, but yeah, so I played the last 20 minutes of that. Because um, oh, that's where I thought my 100% record of Australia was. But then that... Yeah, I blocked the last <laughs> five minutes of that out. I mean, not to bring up bad memories, but what what was the kind of like few hours after that game like um yeah it was pretty it was pretty dark um I, obviously the game itself we felt like we played really well um maybe not better than australia but we certainly felt like we, we could have easily got over the hump and then to have it taken away on a, a bad refereeing decision is, is yeah. really hard um and then we we kind of did what you would kind of expect us to have got back to the hotel. Everyone was a bit down and then we got the tube into London and then got pretty smashed. <laughs> I, I can't even remember what nightclub we ended ended up at, but um, yeah, we ended up having a good night out. But I think it took a lot of guys kind of weeks and months yeah. to get over it because just, just the circumstance of it all was, was yeah. pretty miserable. Were, in the changing room, were, were people sort of like cursing Joubert's name? Was that the kind of main emotion and presumably was there so there wasn't a post-match function then or anything because presumably he would have had to be there i actually i actually don't even remember um i feel like there might have been a really brief one i right. think i think it was like let's just let's just get yeah i think it was a sunday as well yeah so maybe i think it was kind of like turn up grab a bit of food and just get on the bus and let's let's get out of yeah here. yeah um but yeah he certainly wasn't to be seen by any anyone. Yeah. Mm. I don't know whether Vern had gone outside and was banging on his door to try and say something. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was mainly. I mean, there's only so much that you can say about the ref. I mean, it's it's done. He's made a bad decision. Yeah, 
he looks a bit cowardly running off. Well, he knows he's made it. He knows he knows yeah, he's made yeah. a bad decision. Um, before you know it, you're just thinking, well, it it's over. Mm. What becomes hard then is you watch them play Argentina the next week, and you think that's a game that we could have won. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's easy to kind of say. I mean, I'm yeah. not sure we would have beaten New Zealand in the final, but <laughs> you know, you got the momentum at that you point. Got the momentum. Yeah. yeah, you never know. You never <laughs> it'd be, know. It'd be like it a home final as well. Um, so, so you were, you must have been part of the kind of infamous Vern Cotter pre World Cup training camp with the rabbits and everything. Was it as sort of like austere and Spartan as it came across? <laughs> <laughs> it was um it was pretty surreal. I mean we we'd done from for Glasgow, we'd done marine camps in the past, but these French commando guys were just they were a different level, not in the fact that they were more severe. It's just like they didn't really care about anything and <laughs> we didn't know we obviously couldn't understand what they were saying so we didn't know where they were leading us like we didn't get told yeah. anything at the time we were just on this walk we, we'd done all these kind of team building exercises a bit of fitness a bit of like climbing on things yeah um and then we just got led on this big expedition up to the top of the pyrenees um <laughs> arrived there yeah and there was there was some rabbits involved <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say or I'm yeah. not allowed to say, to be honest. Pretty sure um, Jim Hamilton's broken all of that yeah, he said, already. <laughs> he said most of it, yeah. So I think you know what happened. When you came out of the camp, we were sort of all thinking like, oh, that was just what, that's like brought us all together. That was like amazing bonding. That's going to make us a better team. Or, or was it just sort of like, do I have to go to the middle of nowhere and potentially murder, potentially not murder an animal? Like to, you know, to, to be a better rugby team. I don't even think we thought about it in that detail. It's like you just you'd, you'd been through it. It was done. You'd had the whole of preseason, which was which is miserable anyway. And then you know if you've done pretty well and you get a chance in the in the games before you can you can go to the World Cup. Did it necessarily make us more together as a team? I, I don't know. Probably probably not. But um, you try different things to bring people together um sometimes there's nothing better than just having a few beers and the the ironic thing was when we when we went away from the pyrenees the next stop was perpignan and we did a few days training and then we we had a few beers at the beach club and as much as anything else i think that was that was just kind of a yeah, great experience yeah. it was a great release after all the all the training that's going on and these french commandos were were quite far away by that stage which was great cause is like a rural kiwi though they're just like different breed when it comes to that sort of stuff yeah you can't really just log killing animals and drinking beer sort of their vibe <laughs> is um because interesting with Cotter is it feels like he's not someone who would be like get that emotionally close to players but a lot of players seem to don't know whether like love him is the right word but definitely like massively respect him I, th- I think that's the right word like you really respect Vern he clearly is a good guy I mean he doesn't he's not someone that you would have that many conversations but he very much keeps yeah. himself to himself he's quite an introverted sort of character and he's got a real presence about him you can see he's got that stare um which is kind of great as a coach because you can get players to pretty much do whatever you want a lot of the time um but yeah i mean i i remember obviously that trip but what i also remember is he he loves the guitar and he loves like playing on the guitar so i remember being around a campfire with Vern. And he was playing the guitar while people were singing around him. It was just this surreal experience. <laughs> the last thing that you, last thing you expect, a bit of kumbaya with Vern Carter and the French Pyrenees. Um, but yeah, he, he absolutely loved it. But yeah, I think he was a guy, he was someone that you could really respect as a coach. We obviously knew that he had loads of experience and he was, he was clearly, a, I think he was a good guy as well. So um, 
I think there was a bit of sadness with the way that he kind of left. But then everyone, yeah. everyone was a big Gregor had done so well with with us at Glasgow that we could see why it was the case. Yeah, can I take you take you right back to the beginning of your professional career, Border Reavers? Obviously, thus disbanded, and the sort of perennial talk in Scottish rugby circles, or at least in the nerdy circles that we hang out with, is the need for that third t- pro team again. What was it? What was it like in that atmosphere? You've just been given your first sort of pro contract, and then the team is essentially disbanded. What were the sort of the, the last few days and weeks like? It was um, it was really weird. I mean, obviously, like you say, it was my first experience of a professional club, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect. We had a looking back now, we had a really good team. We had like Simon Danielli, Chris Custer, we had guys like Stuart Grimes. We had lots of guys who would then go on and did really well yeah. elsewhere. And for some reason, we just we just had a terrible season. It didn't work out the way we wanted. So, I think we got told we were getting disbanded. It was we had lots of the season to go. It was something like ten games to go. And before then, we also lost. Alan Tate was our defensive coach. Yeah. George Graham was our forwards coach, and they both just left halfway through the season. It's like they're just going full time with Scotland. So it was. Was it, it was really Bates you knew you head knew. Was that was it? Steve, Steve Bates? Bates, yeah. Steve Bates was head coach. So you knew it was kind of happening. And the, yeah, the last bit of it was really strange. We only won three games through the whole season, um, and we'd turn up for training because a lot of the guys knew they were losing their job or not getting not getting not contact getting, with any yeah. of the year. Turn up for training, and it was like right guys um there's a few few guys are going to play golf so you can go do that if you want um some guys are going out and play a bit of touch on the back pitches um there's a few guys be going to the gym so yeah just um just do what you do, do what you what want you do what you want and then you we do we maybe do that for a couple of days and then team run it was a lot more this was like the last couple of weeks but it was just it was very relaxed and i just thought this is really surreal this wasn't quite what i was expecting with yeah. professional rugby was was there a sense that the, the club was like sort of on an upward trajectory and actually given time it it would have worked or was there a sort of a you know an understanding that maybe the borders is like too, too sort of tribal and just doesn't quite work sort of you know isn't viable maybe commercially yeah i think we never got the widespread buy-in from the whole of the borders you spoke to the guys that we had a lot of guys that were from the borders and that's that's what they would say you know and if they did if they could kind of bring it all together it would be a fantastic place for a, for yeah. a pro side Mainly because it'd be such a tough place for teams to come to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think teams liked going to Netherdale anyway, but with a big crowd, I can imagine it'd be mm. even worse. But yeah, I mean, players don't. You don't really. You can see. If, you can see that commercially things are viable or not, but you, you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. But you can mm. see the number of people that are watching you. You can see the newspaper story yeah, the headlines yeah. about how much money the SRU was in debt at the time. So I think we knew it was going to happen, and it seemed like. We had a terrible year that year, but the year before they'd been they'd been quite good. Mm. So I think they I don't know whether they're waiting for the borders to have a bad year and then to take them away. But mm. um I, I'd love to see a third pro team, but unless it's commercially viable, it doesn't just doesn't seem like it's gonna happen anytime soon. Yeah. And then what was the next step after borders then to, to Glasgow? Next step was to Glasgow. Yep. So it was really close to joining Edinburgh actually at the time. And then um Sean Lanine managed to kind of whisper sweet nothings in my ear. <laughs> so to, was there a mini bidding war from Edinburgh and Glasgow? It for certainly you? wasn't a bidding war. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, both both owned by the SRU, so it's like we, we'll definitely pay him this. It's like we'll pay him this as well. Let's just let's just make it, <laughs> yeah. let's just let him make the decision that he wants to make. But I got I got 
I got promised at the time that Kelly Brown definitively was not going to sign for Glasgow Warriors. And then I signed, <laughs> and then Kelly signed a week later. I remember being like, this, this might be a bad decision in hindsight. <laughs> Absolute stitch up. <laughs> but I think I, I ended up at, I think it was the right place for me in yeah. the end. So even though at the time I was probably probably pissed off for a couple of years after that, actually. But that 07, still at, not Hewenden, in Firhill by 07? First year, well, I think we played at Firhill before, but yeah, I, I never never got to experience Hewenden, oh, the old shame. school of Hewenden. So we went straight into Firhill. And then five, what, so 07, 11 then, what was it like making that move from what would have been the sort of Magnus League or the early days of the Pro 12 down to Sale? Completely different experience? Yeah, it, it was. Um, at the time, I was really excited about it. I think you, yeah. you obviously got an idea about the Premiership and English rugby, mm-hmm. and you think it's going to be kind of for European League alongside with the French. It's going to be quite really up there in terms of professionalism and mm-hmm. the quality of play. Um, and <laughs> the quality of play, yes. Maybe the professionalism, not quite. I had some interesting experiences at Sale. I had a great time. I had a great two years there. Yeah. I had some great characters that are playing there with me. Guys like Sam Tutupo, um, Andy Powell was there when I was there. Oh, um, so it, yeah, it was it was awesome. The first year we finished sixth, um, and our it was our goal to finish sixth, and it was a fantastic atmosphere. The next year we lost our first eight games in a row. Um, we'd lost the London Welsh um, kind of the seventh game of those and it was like right the club might get disbanded if, if you I thought god god this is happening again, oh, again. Um, <laughs> and just the, re- the rest of the next four months was just pure misery it went to old school kind of three to four hours of just mauling per week um, oh, to try and turn it around the worst thing about it is it worked that we actually got a lot better doing yeah. it so um, yeah it was it was an interesting experience one that I really enjoyed and it was, it was great to kind of go back up go back up the road yeah. after that had been done was the was the mauling piece was that when Steve Diamond yeah fully came involved yeah Good Times Dimes got involved at Good that Times stage. Dimes um, what a man <laughs> he was he was director of I think he was director of rugby and then stepped back into the kind of the head coach role yeah, yeah. once things weren't going so well um, so I had three different coaches when I was at sale in the course of two years with Steve Hanks Brian Redpath and Steve Diamond. Oh, okay. um, and yeah, Steve, he, I mean, he's done, he's given great structure to that sales side, but he's, yeah. he is an interesting character. He's a good coach, yeah. but he's, <laughs> he's a really interesting character. I remember one of the, the one of the things I remember and I'll never forget was um, Danny Cipriani. So when I was there, the second year he arrived and one of the Sundays we had training and I think he turned up half an hour, 45 minutes late. And the punishment that they decided was most apt for Danny was to stand on a chair at the side of the training pitch completely naked <laughs> while, while we were doing fitness uh, in the t- like down up things called Malcolm's oh uh, my next God. to him. <laughs> so we did that for about half an hour with him standing there the whole time. And sales training ground is pretty much, I, th- I think you can, s- you can actually see what's going on in the pictures from the motorway. Yeah, so it's yeah, not as yeah. if it's a private yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. off the beaten track. And then we all stood at the side to watch Danny then do a few of these Malcolms completely naked, naked himself. Yeah. Oh, so he, he had to do the exercise naked? Yes. Oh my God. After watching <laughs> us naked. And I just thought this, this is a really surreal experience. It's not what I expected. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, it probably, probably worked. He wasn't late again, I'll tell you that for sure. I know. And did you and Richie Gray go at the same time? Or was he a bit later? I went the year before and then Richie came the year after. 
He heard about all the good things. Na- <laughs> naked exercising. He's like, I'm coming to sail. So I, I almost feel mildly guilty because I had the, obviously the first year of it where it was great fun. Yeah, and we, yeah, we did yeah. quite well. And he had the second year of it where we, it was pure misery for six months. And um, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like it. Yeah, he didn't like it. And then because yeah, we had Johnny Beatty on the pod and obviously Richie's done a lot in France. Have you ever thought about the trip out to France? Yeah, I, I would have loved it if a club was interested. <laughs> uh, I don't think I was Simone enough to, um, to make yeah. it out there. I'm they don't, not the to French be fair, they player. don't like their kind of more athletic back row. They like maybe yeah. a little bit more meat on the bone. Johnny's listening to this now. <laughs> Cheers, Johnny's crying. He's a little, you know, he's a little bit bigger. <laughs> absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely true. They seem to like just big units. Yeah. Uh, at no stage in my career was that me, even when I was a centre, so... Um, yeah, it never worked out. I would have loved to have tried it. But, you know, some of the stories you hear about France, some people go and have amazing experiences. Yeah. Some people go and have awful experiences. It just completely depends on the club and, you know, how different things work out. So during that bad time of sale, do you use, like, WhatsApp dots and you're like, hey, man, what's, what's up? Any, any spots open for, for a keen back row? <laughs> Um, it didn't happen exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, I was open at the time to going back up. And in the two years that I was away, Glasgow kind of went from strength to strength. And I think the last year, they got beaten by Leinster in the semi-final, the pro, what was still the Pro 12 then, and played really well, just got beaten at the end of the semi-final. And I thought it, it was an awesome opportunity to hopefully go back up there and potentially win the league with, with Glasgow. Um and obviously that's how that's how it worked out in the end um so yeah i was i was lucky to get the chance to to move back up if if toulon had come a calling and who knows what <laughs> we would have maybe i think about what it. what were the sort of having sort of left glasgow come back to such success like what what were the biggest changes that drove that because you know it was a team that was finishing like near the bottom of the pile you know to winning the league over not that many years you know what what was sort of driving that it was it was it was a range of things. Like obviously, I think we had a spine of guys that stuck around for a while that you know were really passionate about Glasgow doing well. Um, and guys that like I mentioned before, like even the the kind of Pete Horns and the Bobby Arleys came in a little bit later than that. But even guys like Al Kellogg and Graham Morrison, yeah. John Barkley when he was there, um, and there was kind of always kind of a steely edge to it. And then we just seemed to like pick up more and more quality as well mm. to the to playing squad. And then w- when we actually were challenging for it, we had the Nico Matawalas, the Leone Nakarawas yeah. that would kind of just add that little bit of extra, which which got us over the line. Mm. Um, but it, it came from it came from initially just yeah. It, it, Sean gave us Sean Lane kind of gave us a structure, and it was a bit more of a kind of basic game plan initially. But we just kind of learned how to win games it sounds like a mm. bit of a cliche but we we probably did and realized that we actually weren't rubbish scottish players <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we could beat pretty much any team yeah, in the league yeah. and you just build a bit of confidence and the momentum helps and mm. I, I think that that's what holds scotland back a lot of the time is just getting just having that confidence when it's close at the end of a game to know that you, you're going to get over the yeah. line and it, it can't just be switched on it's something that comes from yeah. games and just having that experience of doing it are there um sort of like psychologists and sort of sports like mental skills coaches that the SOU and these teams the pro teams employ yes there is um usually with Scotland not necessarily um with the club sites um but yeah while I was 2011 World Cup we had a we had a psychologist that came to the World Cup with us 
2015, I think there was someone, I think actually it was some sort of French Marine commando guy. <laughs> but he, he didn't just do any... He just had a sack of rabbits with him the whole time. <laughs> he didn't do any... Um, I didn't do much with the players. Maybe I think it was just a leadership group and... Vern, it was like Vern's <laughs> the guy, French guy that Vern would chat to. Amazing. You get that edge. Yeah. Um, and I know they'd used, they used someone for the past World Cup as well. So yeah. it's something that it's something they've definitely looked into. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know, how, it's a really hard thing to gauge if it's successful or not, isn't it? I mean, how much do you, do you portion to kind of the psychologist that comes in and speaks to a few yeah. players? It's interesting with uh, all the stuff with Finn and it feels like there's been this chat about this leadership group and there's been a bit of a kind of refreshing of that group where previously it was your Laidlaws and your Barclays. And I think a lot of the chat seems to come out that Laidlaw was a very strong presence, especially with Finn. How did you find Laidlaw as a captain? Yeah, he was was a good captain. Um, He was always extraordinarily passionate about Scotland. I think anyone could tell that he was passionate about getting results. Um, And he's quite unwavering in how he saw that. But he, him and Finn, I think he knew, obviously, Finn was extraordinarily talented, took him under his his wing a little bit. Um, And obviously for them two playing together at nine and 10, they had had a really strong relationship between the, the two of them. And he'd maybe provide a bit more direction to Finn when he needed it. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think I think that was that was useful for him at the time, definitely. And having Laidlaw's experience next to him. Um it it does help. I mean you can uh, it's really hard to completely um Finn is a bit of a maverick so you can't you can never completely control yeah, him. You yeah, just kind yeah. of shepherd him and do certain things and hopefully he he realizes his potential to do whatever he needs to do. Who do you think's more passionate about Scotland, Greg Laidlaw or Al Kellock? Al Kellogg by an absolute mile. Al Kellogg, I think, really? feels, he must be like the most passionate man about just like Scottish rugby. He's on the Scottish payroll now as well, though, so he's got, <laughs> yeah. to, he's got to be. Yeah. yeah, that is true. He does live live and breathe Scottish rugby more than... And, and yeah. Glasgow Warriors. That, yeah. I mean, yeah, he does. It, yeah, and it's such a great influence for kind of for kind of both of them for a long period of time. He's just got the... We always chat with the most Scottish accent in the world. Like it sounds like somebody doing a Scottish accent. Yeah, like, I always think that Al Kellogg sounds like somebody you've asked someone to do an impression of Al Kellogg and they've done it. Yeah, <laughs> you almost need that as a Scotland captain. It's hard. To, yeah. it's hard to be yeah. a really good Scotland captain without a, a serious accent. Yeah. There's uh, one other thing I saw on the, online that you got a nickname called Inferno. What's that? Or and Skeletor? <laughs> What's the story? There's, there's no particularly good story about it. I mean, Verno Inferno, I think that's where it came from. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I wish there was a better story than that. And Ske- <laughs> Skeletor was just because I was incredibly skinny. I think I, got, <laughs> I think I got given that when I was kind of under 19. The ironic thing is, have you, have you seen Skeletor? He's an absolute beast. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I owned that one. I was like, yeah, yeah no, that's fair. <laughs> um, we've been going for, going for over an hour now. Lads. Do you want to do a quick little quiz? A quick quiz? Is I've it got, the Richie Vernon quiz? It's like, well, actually, we used one of them, which was the three teams that you got 100% record against. Yeah, um, go on. But I'll, get, I'll give you one, me, me I'll give you one Glasgow one that's actually quite apt because, obviously, played with Pete Horn. He's just got re-signed. Um, but Pete, Pete Horn was the sixth player to reach 400 points for Glasgow Warriors at the weekend. Who do you think are the, uh, the five other players? I've got so little. Do you want to, I've first one, I mean, for Dan Parks. Here. So Dan Parks is there. I mean, these are these are legend names out of the Warriors. Um, Four you should be bashing out. I'm sure I should. Rui Jackson. Rui, Big Jacko. Oh, yeah. Donkey Weir. 
Donkey where? The pudding? Um, Tommy Hayes. Oh, yes. There you go. And then one other one who is the most currently the most famous man in Scottish rugby, probably. Finn. 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 <laughs> so that's your that's your six men who've got four hundred points. All big names. Nice. Yeah, all big names. Um, very, very big and actually, the other thing I saw, George on this is all from that guy on top of the moon who does all the stuff stats. Kevin Miller, yeah. His uh, George Horn had his. Uh, it was the sixth game where he scored two tries at the weekend. He's an absolute freak. <laughs> he is a freak. Incredible, yeah, absolutely incredible. He's he's got that skill of Chris Ashton had it for a while with England. He's yeah, just exactly. always in the right place at the right time, and he's yeah. got loads of gas, so he can he can finish a lot of it himself. So yeah, he's, his try scoring record for Glasgow is ridiculous. Yeah, I think it was something like low twenties out of fifty four games, but actually a lot of those fifty four has been off the bench as well. So it's not like he's playing yeah. full games. So I think he's like try per minutes ratio is almost like one in eighty. Or like close to one in a hundred. I think it's um, Kevin Miller once again with these stats that compared to other top class nines in the world who've played like over 50 first class games, his try involvement and assist ratio is better than anyone in like the last five, ten years. Like better than Perinara and people like that. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Last quiz question. Who was, you obviously played forward and back for Scotland. When, what year did the last person, Scottish player, play forward and back for Scotland? Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure the motor car was invented at this stage. <laughs> 18. Oh, was it that long ago? I thought it was that guy Roland Reed. Didn't, didn't he play on the wing and flanker for Scotland? It's, well, the information I have to hand <laughs> says no. 1878. So, yeah. 1878 to 2015. It's like 100, 130-year gap. It was, if someone had told me that that was the length of gap before, when I was making the decision, yeah, I'd be like, 100%. I mean, if nothing else, it's, a, it's just a great, <laughs> it's a great stat to be able to say to people. To be fair, because obviously Bottier's done that for, uh, is it La Rochelle? Yep. La Rochelle. It's like Bottier and Vernon. Two, two lads made the, the names just roll off the tongue don't they yeah. <laughs> someone told me that this obviously is not part of the quiz and I can't remember who the names are but I think seven people have done it in a World Cup oh uh, really yeah um, one was um, big Australian number eight who played on the wing oh, right, Samu Samu yeah, yeah. Um, and then the rest of them were kind of Namibia or yeah. whoever else but ah uh, right it's amazing who manages to pull these stats out yeah 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 you, I know <laughs> um, I think we'll, we can finish it up there I think what we asked Johnny when he was on a few weeks back who's yeah. the best um, the best player he's ever played with so we'll, we'll chuck that one your way to finish things off as well um, that's a really difficult one um, do we played with or played against or can be either, can we, e- either or both? <laughs> um, played against could be any of the New Zealand back row that I got hiding from on yeah. my first <laughs> my first start. Um, I remember st- well while the hacker was on, st- I, someone told me you just got to stare into your opposite man's eyes for the whole of the hacker. Oh, so just staring out Kieran Reed for the whole of it, and um, <laughs> he he definitely got the better of me in that in that match. Um, and then played with. I mean, I've been in terms of pure talent um someone like Nico Matawalu 
could yeah. do could do things and Leone to actually could do things that I'd never seen anyone do. Yeah. I mean, you, you maybe don't get the consistency of it, but for for two years, I mean, no one could tackle Nico. Mm. He just step everyone around him. Um, so he, yeah, I, th- I think from a pure talent perspective, maybe not a completely rounded player, but I, yeah. I, he he did something that I'd, I'd never seen anyone else be able to do. Do you think uh, just last that you're going to do any more broadcast stuff? Because you've done some stuff for Alba back in the day. Are you, do, do you do any broadcast stuff at the moment? Nothing Nothing at the moment. Um, did the odd bit on um, Rugby Roundup on BBC Scotland on a Sunday, which was good yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's hard. Um, obviously, I, I live down south now. Um, so it's... It's a lot more difficult, I think, when you're when you're away from Scotland, it can make things a little bit more difficult. I mean, yeah. I, I really enjoy it, and actually, when you're when you're out of touch, uh, I, when you're not involved with the squads every weekend, it, yeah. it makes makes the whole thing a little bit harder. But definitely something I think about. I think about doing in future, but not right now. I'm all about the business world. These days. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if there's any producers out there that want a bit of Richie Vernon. Come get us. We you have to come through us now, though. We're as, we're as agents. Yeah. So we take, we take a, we charge an extraordinary commission for both production and financial management. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we, we take all of that. Um, so Richie, thank you so much for being uh, so yeah. uh, generous with your time this evening and telling some great stories. Um, we will be back next week, hopefully after a big win against Italy, or we will be here in the pits of despair. Either way, we'll be back with you. Stay in touch on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod, on Instagram, Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. And please send us your feelings and emotions into the mailbag, the thistle rugby at gmail.com. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.